to the extent that is the American Bar Association Business Law Section's podcast series. Our podcasts provide general information. They aren't a substitute for legal advice from a licensed professional. We offer both standalone and serial podcasts on a variety of topics and welcome your feedback and suggestions at ababusinesslaw at americanbar.org. We hope you enjoy your selection. Hello, and thanks for tuning in to this first episode of our podcast series, AI Today, a podcast for business lawyers about corporate governance, AI regulation, litigation, and all things related. I'm Stuart Rebeck, and I'm the chair of the Business and Corporate Litigation Committee. It's my pleasure on this podcast to introduce you to Brad Newman, who chairs the committee's new Artificial Intelligence Subcommittee. Brad is a partner with Baker McKenzie based out of Silicon Valley. He's been recognized by the Daily Journal as one of the top 20 artificial intelligence lawyers in California. In 2018, he proposed the AI Data Protection Act, federal artificial intelligence, intellectual property, and workplace legislation that has been turned into a discussion draft House of Representatives bill. He's been an invited speaker on AI topics at NYU Law School and MIT Sloan. He regularly publishes on AI regulatory and policy issues and frequently serves as a commentator on AI matters in national news media. Brad, this is a really interesting topic, and I'm glad we have the chance to talk about it today. In this episode, Brad and I will be speaking about some of the interesting and troubling features of AI, the current regulatory environment, some of what the new subcommittee is planning, and a bunch of other topics. There will be at least another three episodes after this one in which Brad will speak with in-house counsel, a judge, an academic, and a legislator about how they are encountering, dealing with, and planning for issues relating to AI. But just to kick things off, Let's talk about what artificial intelligence means. The term gets thrown around loosely. Is it something like machine learning? Is it pattern detection? Is it something like actuarial analysis? Brad, how would you define artificial intelligence? Stuart, that's a great question. And let's start at the beginning. The field of AI research was born at a workshop at Dartmouth College in 1956 where the term artificial intelligence was coined by John McCarthy of MIT and who ultimately went to Stanford in 1962 where he established SAIL, the Stanford Artificial Intelligence Lab. Now the computer science definition defines AI as the study of quote, intelligent agents, any device that perceives its environment and takes actions that maximizes its chance of successfully achieving its goals. A simpler computer science definition of AI is the ability of a computer program or machine to learn and simulate human intelligence. Now, it gets a little more complicated from there. AI-powered machines are typically classified into two groups, general and strong, or narrow and weak. And then there are many further classifications like reactive machines, limited memory, theory of mind, and self-awareness. But for the moment, let's just focus on the distinction between weak versus strong because it's illustrative of the discourse and debate everyone's having now in the law and society about AI. Weak AI is programmed to perform a single task, like playing chess or checking the weather. It's 
also not conscious or sentient. It operates solely within a predefined range. Now, people are often surprised when I tell them Google's Siri and similar products utilize weak, not strong AI. Siri is designed solely to process human language. It enters it in a Google search engine and it returns results. Siri is not self-aware or conscious. All of Siri's actions are originally pre-programmed by humans. It can simulate certain human behavior, but can't truly function in the same cognitive way as you or I. And how do we know this? Well, you can try, after you listen to this podcast, to ask Siri the meaning of life. You'll probably get a super vague response or links to articles on the web that discuss this question. But Siri can't tell you, like a human could, the answer to what the meaning of life is. But ask Siri what the weather is outside, and you'll get the correct response almost 100% of the time because Siri is programmed to retrieve that specific question. So Stuart, now that we understand the concept of weak AI, we can see that even advanced chess programs, Siri programs, and most of the types of AI we've grown accustomed to are actually based on weak AI systems, which begs the question, what is strong AI? Strong AI means a machine that can exhibit true human intelligence, or perform an intellectual task that a human can perform, like reasoning, problem solving, making judgments in uncertain conditions, imagining, innovating, etc., which is different than pure predictions. Now, I want to give you quickly a legal definition of artificial intelligence now that we've discussed some of the computer science concepts. And I'll take the one that's in my draft legislation, and I'll truncate it. The definition from a legal perspective is a computer system that performs one or more tasks under varying and unpredictable circumstances and performs the task without human, significant human oversight and improves performance of such tasks by learning from the experience or through exposure to an analysis of data sets relevant to the task. And here we go from AI, the general concept to machine learning. Now, machine learning is a subset of AI. It's a method of training algorithms, which are just stipulated rules that solve problems. That's what an algorithm is from a computer science standpoint. Machine learning is a method of training algorithms so that they can learn from data and make predictions. They, machine learning is dependent on relevant data sets to train the algorithm. And finally, we get to deep learning. So machine learning is a subset of AI and deep learning is a subset of machine learning. Deep learning algorithms are an attempt to model information processing patterns found in the human brain. So simplistically, comparing deep learning to machine learning, you could take these uh, points. Deep learning automatically discovers the features to be used for classifications. Machine learning requires those features to be provided manually. And deep learning needs high-end machines 
and considerably large amounts of training data to deliver accurate results, which to wrap this all up gets us to pattern detection. And that's what everybody's focused on today in the media, in the law, and that's what society is concerned about because AI is really using machine learning for pattern detection, and which deals with the discovery of regularities in data through the use of computer algorithms and the use of these regularities to classify data into different categories. And that in turn is used for predictive applications to recognize data patterns and regularities in a given scenario that repeat in a recognizable way using these algorithms to then predict. As of today, what effect are we seeing on people's everyday lives, whether it's at home or at work, from the rise of artificial intelligence in whatever form? So so AI is impacting everyone in the developed world from the moment we wake up to the moment we go to sleep. And what it's doing, in a sense, is collecting data on us and then being applied to classify us. So what that means in reality is that when we use our cell phones, there is data being collected on our behaviors, our likes, our preferences. Data on so many people and so many interactions that each of us have one human mind or all of the human minds in the world couldn't process it. But a computer with uh, enough processing power, the right algorithms, and the data sets that are being collected from the way we're living our lives now are being used to classify us in the most innocuous ways. What kind of music we listen to, what songs we might like to hear that get suggested to us. Uh, But there are much more insidious ways, which is what society is worried about, that AI is being used to analyze data, recognize statistically recurring events, and then predict, for example, who might be the most likely and what characteristics about individuals would lead to a default on a loan. Who might be the best for a particular job? Who might get ill? And when someone gets ill, who might get the most sick and need the most intensive care treatment? And who might be likely to commit a crime or to be paroled and commit another crime? These are the types of classifications that AI are capable of making, sometimes accurately sometimes with implicit bias, but all of these classifications are ways that groups of people and their conduct can be classified and predicted in a way that society and the law are starting to be very concerned with. Okay, Brad, um, how did you become aware of legal issues that are posed by AI? And can you talk about some of those legal issues? Sure. So my practice is primarily based out of the Silicon Valley, representing the world's leading technology producers. And back in 2013, 2014, I started seeing a lot of 
my clients and, and those my clients were dealing with doing a lot of work in machine learning and predictive analytics. And it started to dawn on me that there were many, many issues that were going to arise. And in 2015, I published a thought piece in TechCrunch laying out some of the concerns. And the reaction was, you know, you're, you're a doomsday pro, uh, predictor. Uh, the Terminator's going to come and wipe out civilization. And I'm being a little hyperbolic, but the, the response was, don't worry about it. What are you talking about? And I, I stuck to it. And in 2018, I published another thought piece in TechCrunch. And this time, the response was the exact opposite. And back in 2015, I was using terms and suggesting constructs like having chief AI officers. I was talking about uh, the certain and specific risks to allowing AI to do what it does without human involvement and oversight. And uh, the legal risks at the time I was talking about really became all of what we're hearing about implicit bias, transparency, and fairness, what the European Union's focused on, uh, and now some of the U.S. regulators are focused on. However, while I'm still very much involved in trying to shape the narrative and public policy and law around transparency and implicit bias and fairness, I've moved on to really starting to focus on let's assume the algorithm is accurately doing what it was intended to do and has been properly trained on the right data sets and the outcome is correct without implicit bias and is fair. Are there still instances where the law ought to prescribe decision-making based on predictive analytics and classifications made by AI alone. And that's where I think the discourse is going to move, since everybody can agree if an algorithm is producing a biased outcome, that's bad. But now I'm moving on to the more complex issue of the AI algorithm is not yielding a biased result. It's yielding a purely accurate result. But as a matter of public policy, we ought not to let insurance companies, doctors, employers, banks rely solely on the AI analytics. So we don't have an overarching regulatory framework for approaching these kinds of questions. I know that there's other countries that have started paying attention to these sorts of issues, and I was wondering what uh, places like the European Union, Japan, South Korea, Israel, very advanced, technologically advanced uh, jurisdictions and countries that have these issues that they grapple with, how they are looking at it and what sorts of things they're proposing and putting out on the table. Great question. And of course, we're only going to have time to do a 45,000 foot flyover, but it mirrors the image uh, the issues that we see with military treaties and trade treaties. Uh, Europe is focused on uh, very lofty principles of the individual uh, protecting their data, protecting their privacy, 
They've come out with what's called the OECD principles on artificial intelligence. And they're doing what the Europeans do, which probably won't work anywhere else but in Europe. There are similar focus on ethics and the individual and uh, those constructs going on, certainly in Asia, excluding China, which has a different view of it. And in the U.S., it's the wild, wild west right now. Is it your view that artificial intelligence techniques and applications will advance better with regulation, without regulation? Great question. So I believe I would answer the question this way. Regulation is going to happen domestically in the United States and has started at certain very basic levels in some states. But regulation must encourage innovation and not serve to stifle it based on fears that AI will be used, as Isaac Asimov said, should never happen to hurt humans, etc. We should start with the principle that there are a lot of applications of AI that are great for humans, great for our way of life, great for our health, and great for our safety. But I do believe AI needs to be regulated, and I focus on denoting certain no-fly zones. So AI can be used for everything and anything, but what is prescribed by the statutes that eventually will be enacted. I think that's where it's going to land. And I think the focus will be on how AI is used and applied in society rather than debating what the term AI should mean and, and those sort of things. But there's a tremendous impetus, as you can imagine, toward delaying regulation as long as possible at the federal level. Well, in your view, uh, should AI regulation primarily be at the federal level or at the state level, consistent with the way uh, the American governmental structure is set up? I think, without a doubt, it needs to be federal. Otherwise, we're going to wind up with a patchwork of state laws that are confusing, inconsistent, cause a lot more harm to innovation, and otherwise confuse the matter and have a very local tribal feel to them. You can do this in Illinois. You can't do this in New York. Everything's okay in California versus having, this is an area that cries out for a uniform federal approach, but we're a long way from that, unfortunately. Now, you were involved in creating the preliminary draft of a statute to regulate AI. Uh, could you say something about how that happened and what your thinking was in putting the draft together and where it is now? Sure. I alluded earlier to that I published some thought pieces on what AI regulation ought to look like in TechCrunch in 2015, where the response was, you know, your tinfoil hat must be constricting the blood vessels going to your brain. And then in 2018, the reverse. And the day I published the 2018 thought piece, I got a call from the head of legislative affairs for a sitting congressman who said, this makes total sense from a public policy standpoint. Do you want to come to Washington and turn this into a House bill? At which point the idea is that the congressman would read it into the record, give it a number, and get going on the committee process and sponsor it. 
And I said yes. And I spent many hours in 2018 on the Hill uh, with House Legislative Council and many, many experts. And uh, we put together the discussion draft of the AI Data Protection Act. And it took most of 2018. And by the time it got ready for prime time, so to speak, the congressman was not running for re-election in the midterms. He was a senior congressman who was retiring. And uh, for personal reasons, he left D.C. in December, right when the bill was ready and events on the ground overtook it. He did not have a chance to sponsor it before uh, Trump shut down Congress in the beginning of 2019, which seems like a thousand years ago. (laughs) And so I'm working now behind the scenes trying to get some or all of the AI Data Protection Act uh, sponsored on a bipartisan basis and formally introduced to the, uh, by the House. Going back up to 45,000 feet, what sorts of things does this proposal address? It addresses uh, primarily workplace and intellectual property concerns, uh, workplace concerns. It provides for what happens to workers who are laid off based on AI in the workplace. Uh, it discusses the need for covered entities to have a chief AI officer uh, overseeing AI in the workplace. It has prohibited uh, uses of AI that will never be allowed. And on the IP front, it establishes a uh, AI board, a regulatory board in D.C., because I think that AI warrants what uh, the DOL does for labor, the FDA does for food. Uh, you know, the federal agencies administrating over our public health and safety, I think ultimately you will need a AI board with uh, presidential appointed Senate confirmed members and their job under the statute will be solely focused on determining whether a practice of AI is injurious to the public health and safety. And if deemed to be so, then it can Uh, take a series of steps to protect the public health and welfare. That's fascinating. And now, as of June of 2020, when we're recording this, has litigation involving these issues started to hit the courts? And uh, in what way have litigations presented themselves with what sorts of issues and outcomes? So the answer is yes. And by the way, I've had several discussions with extremely sophisticated and accomplished plaintiff's attorneys who are looking for the big one on AI to get the ball rolling. And I will predict it will be in the employment recruiting front because that is where right now most commercial AI is being deployed as far as uh, helping HR uh, functions identify candidates, and determine who will be hired. Um, The litigation so far has predominantly been by the EEOC uh, coming after companies alleging that their application of AI is creating bias in uh, that runs afoul of existing employment laws. And there's been cases about ad rendering on social media Facebook was hit with a suit that said it its algorithm uh, unfairly targeted uh, 
people of color with ads for bail uh, and, and ads about the criminal justice system. So the initial wave of litigation around AI is undoubtedly going to involve charges of implicit bias. Okay, you had mentioned implicit bias earlier and also fairness and transparency. What do the issues of fairness and transparency mean in the context that you were uh, raising it uh, as it regards uh, artificial intelligence? These are terms that the academics have spent a tremendous amount of time uh, studying and publishing and speaking about. To boil it down, uh, transparency is the ability to know both what the training data sets are that are being used to train the algorithms and what the algorithms are designed to do. So for example, when you talk about transparency, if you're trying to put together an algorithm to determine who will make the best sales executive for your organization, and you determine that one of the factors historically in your company's 50-year history that is always present with your best sales leaders or they played high school football. That's going to become a problem because women don't play high school football. So that's the transparency of what factors you want the algorithm to assess as statistically important here is part of this transparency. Show us what the AI is doing. Otherwise, we have a black box situation. And then fairness is a close corollary, it's the opposite, in a sense, of bias, that it's doing what it's supposed to be doing in a fair way that doesn't impact minorities and protected categories of human beings. Okay, thanks. So now, Brad, you have taken on the job of getting a new artificial intelligence subcommittee up and running in the Business and Corporation, uh, Corporate Litigation Committee. What plans do you have for the subcommittee? And can we use this opportunity to pitch listeners to join it? Sure. First of all, we are an inclusive subcommittee. So we want anyone who's interested in AI, regardless of their past experience in this field, uh, if they're the most accomplished AI attorney out there, or just someone who wants to learn, please reach out to me. Even if you're not a litigator, right? Say that again? Even if you're not a litigator. Yes, even if you're not a litigator, there's lots going on in the commercial transaction uh, arena here. So if you're a business lawyer doing M&A deals, uh, there's a lot to talk about. Writing contracts, a lot to talk about. Um, and what are we going to be doing? We are going to be doing several important things. We're going to be monitoring AI legislation in the EU, Canada, and the US, and anywhere else that's taking a meaningful stab at creating a, a legal framework to govern the use of AI. We're going to be uh, writing, hopefully, papers designed to further public policy domestically. We're going to be certainly tracking what the states are doing, uh, New York, Illinois, California. We're going to be talking about what's happening in Congress and what are the most likely bills that uh, are already in committee, what are the most likely ones that are going to be enacted, and what are the issues that we anticipate seeing in future bills. And we're going to be dealing with court case law and helping to educate 
uh, judges and the courts in matters of AI and tracking litigation around the country that involves issues of AI uh, in the courtroom. And, and those are sort of our main focus right now, understanding that this is going to continue to evolve and grow. Okay, so anyone listening who wants to uh, join the committee or wants to contact Brad, by all means, sh shoot him an email or go through the website and click to join the subcommittee and uh, benefit from the activities that Brad was discussing. And with that, that's the end of this episode. Uh, tune in for future episodes when Brad speaks with the pros, the people who are out there on the front lines, in-house counsel, a judge, legislator. Uh, they will all feature in future episodes. And Brad, thanks for, uh, thanks for doing this work. Thank you very much, Stuart. My pleasure. Thank you for listening to the ABA Business Law Section's podcast series, To the Extent That. The section offers a robust collection of content. To explore more about this topic, or to learn about joining the section, visit ambar.org slash bizlaw. That's B-I-Z-L-A-W.